You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Amen and amen. Thank you, Sister Eden. Good evening, church. How's it going this evening? Very good. Everyone excited for the summer jam picnic? That's right. I'm, I'm definitely excited. We're going to be able to fellowship outside and have some fun and uh, share a good meal or two. Uh, so I'm excited for that. Uh, please, please, please do register for that, as Sister Eden mentioned. Also keep in mind in your calendar, calendar as well, we do have prayer night at the end of this month. Uh, that's going to be July 25th, I believe, the last Sunday of this month. So come gather for that as well. We want to come together and pray as a church as, as things start to reopen, as, as, we, as we all get back into the groove of things, uh, of worship and service. So set that time aside. Uh, again, that's July 25th, uh, prayer night, uh, and more details will come uh, on that. Um, as you all know, we've been in this series called World View. It's a, it's a vision-casting series to remind ourselves of our mission as a church. Our vision, of course, as we just heard from Sister Eden, is to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how we do that is through our mission statement, which is reach, revolve, reflect. We reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we cultivate lives and ministries that revolve around Christ, and of course we we, are, we we determine to reflect Christ's love to others, and that's what we've been talking about, and how how we do that as a church. But this the, the, this along with this, we wanted to also discuss the opposing worldviews uh, that that teach otherwise that we meet and we encounter in the world. Uh, of course, there are, we talked about these secular gospels uh, in the past weeks. And, and of course, now we come to uh, another gospel that, will be, that is propagated in the world. And, and, and it's going to be related to our last, our last mission statement of reflecting Christ's love. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we're going, going to be going from James chapter 1, verse 27, and straight into chapter 2 to verse 13. Please stand with me as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word. There's a little bit of feedback here. James chapter 1, verse 27, and all the way to chapter 2 and 13 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brother, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? 
But you have dishonored the poor man. Are, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though who, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this great opportunity to hear from you, to worship you, to bring praises to your name. Lord, again, we declare your holiness, that you are sovereign God, holy, holy, holy. And we thank you for this great time that we have, uh, this opportunity to hear from you, to listen to your spirit and be convicted and have our hearts be moved by you. I pray, O oh God, for the hearts that have been hardened. Again, we ask that it be good soil for your word. I pray, O oh God, for the distractions on our minds and our hearts, that you would remove them, that we would find our place humbled at your feet once again. Lord, teach us, I pray. Lord, I pray if there's any other hindrances, any other worldviews that compete with your truth, your scripture, I pray that you would bring it to submission to the authority of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us this evening. Use me as your instrument of peace once again. We ask these things in Jesus, your mighty name. Amen and amen. Tell someone the title of my sermon this evening, The Gospel of Social Justice. The Gospel of Social Justice. And you may be seated. I first encountered this term of social justice back when I was a young Christian in high school. It was sort of the, the fad or the Christian thing to do in youth groups at the time. My, my best friend and I would read these books by, by authors like Shane Claiborne and watch these videos by, of course, Rob Bell during the time before he, you know, went crazy or fell away. And be motivated to go and, and, and do random acts of kindness and, and these acts of justice, right? We would go do street runs and, and bless the homeless and help those in need. All fueled by this notion that as Christians, we're meant to endeavor towards this idea of social justice. And maybe when you hear this term, this is what comes to mind as well. Street runs and helping uh, the poor and the impoverished, blessing those who, who are in need. I know for me, since my time in high school, uh, this was the notion in my mind and the definition for social justice. And I thought it was a fairly good thing. Certainly, this is what Christians are called to do. Right? We just read about it in our James passage. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is to what? Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Biblically speaking, the orphans and the widows 
a theme that recurs all the time throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, was referring to those who were the most helpless in ancient society. Though the widow and the the orphan, of course. And and James is telling us that as believers, we are to take care of uh, these people groups. So what's wrong with this worldview of social justice? Well, like with many words and terms over the years, the definition for social justice has completely changed and has become more secularized. No longer is social justice simply about showing Christian charity to the less fortunate of society. It's become a rallying cry for every so-called mistreated and oppressed minority group. To put it simply, the worldview of social justice sees cultures and, and society as systematically unjust. To, 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 to specific ethnic or economic or gender or sexual identification groups. And so social justice endeavors to rectify that injustice by bringing justice into society, hence why it's called social justice. You'll often hear this, this kind of language in these circles, this victim language or, or the, 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 the oppression, oppression language being thrown around. Women are oppressed by men. They're, you know, though the poor are victimized by the rich, or, or those who are of color are oppressed by uh, the white man. And as a result, you have movements and political groups lobbying for equity and change to bring about this justice, this social justice to these oppressed groups. The problem with this social justice ideology is that it fails to be just. At least in terms of how the Bible defines justice. See, according to the Bible, justice is impartial. You get what you you deserve without favor. That's what justice is in the Bible. You get what you deserve without favor. An example of this is, you know, we, we say this verse all the time, for the wages of sin is death. Every sinner who does not repent and does not believe unto Christ for salvation are destined to face the wrath of God without mercy because that's what they deserve. That's what we deserve. God is just. Sin deserves death. So he must punish sin with death. That's justice. It's like a judge who who sends his son to prison for a crime without showing him favor just because he's his son. That's biblical justice in the, in the broad sense. You, you get what you deserve without favor. Now, social justice, on the other hand, in its practice means getting what you don't deserve because you are favored. It is an ideology of partiality, of trying to elevate a specific race or gender or economic class or sexual sexuality over the other with the hopes of trying to get some sort of social justice. Women are oppressed, therefore will only hire someone based on their gender, not because of their skill or talent. The white man has all these privileges in society. Therefore, we can only employ colored people. That's partiality. There is a a bias and a favoritism that takes place for one group of people over another. And please hear me. This is not to say that women or colored people or any other group are not skilled or talented. Trust me, I know. I'm married to a Filipino wife, right? She can do things that I can't do. She gave birth to two kids. 
But this is just simply to say, in an effort to be just, social justice becomes unjust. People want equality, but at the cost of showing, showing certain groups favoritism, which isn't equality, again, that's partiality. Now, as mentioned, the way they teach this is by separating people in groups, uh, in groups between those who are oppressed and those who are oppressors, those who are victims or those who are victimizers. Which, by the way, all stems from what we talked about a couple weeks ago, of this socialist ideology. Social justice is simply uh, putting socialism into, into practice. And so now everyone is, is segregated into these social categories where some are said to have privilege and some do not. And, and, and the, the social expectation is that if you are a good person, then you must rally for the underprivileged, the oppressed, the victim. And if you don't, you're enabling or part of the oppressing group. You're a misogynist, you're a bigot, you're a racist. Proponents of social justice take it even further. If you're part of the oppressing group, then you're responsible for the crimes and actions and even the words of that people, of the people from that group, even if they were said and done hundreds of years ago. You have the responsibility to make reparations for them today, to apologize for them today, to suffer for them today. According to social justice ideology, that's how you get justice. And let me tell you, none of that is biblical. None of that is biblical. Listen, that kind of justice with canceled culture and critical race theory and reparations for sins uh, done by uh, ancestors, none of that is in the Bible. Ezekiel 18.20 is very clear. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of their father, nor the, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children. Great, because Judah is, you know, he's a toddler now. Nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. I'm just as bad. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. The Bible is very clear. You're responsible for your own sin. You're not responsible for your parents' sin or your ancestors' sin. When you stand before a holy God, you will answer for your sin alone. That's justice. We're held accountable for our own sin, not the sin of others, and certainly not the sin of our ancestors. But the reason why we're talking about this tonight is really twofold. Firstly, this social justice ideology has crept into many churches today. You have white pastors apologizing for being white. You have churches promoting movements and ideologies that are inherently against God's design for marriage and gender and contradict the word of God. You have churches who support and enable sinful lifestyles, all because their, their missiology is influenced by, again, social justice. Secondly, the reason why we're discussing this tonight is because as we go as a church and reflect the love of Jesus Christ into the world and to one another, it should not look like how the world promotes or practices their idea of love and justice. 
We're called to reflect God's love to people, but not at the cost of hating certain people groups. We're called to seek justice for the least of society, but not antagonistically or by coercion. We're called to ensure that people are loved and respected and honored and valued, but not at the expense of enabling sinful lifestyles. My desire tonight, beloved, is to expound for you how that looks like, how we are to reflect the love of Christ in a way that is different from the social justice of the world. My hope is that by outlining how how real and biblical justice and love looks like, that we would be that we would not feel pressured to conform to the patterns of the world. My prayer is that by knowing the difference between what the Bible says about justice and helping those in need and loving others versus how society wants to help in those in need, when we know the difference that we can truly love like Christ and genuinely reflect the love of Christ to others. So let's jump into tonight's sermon. Everyone say jump. This topic of social justice and the church is a bigger conversation, of course. So if you want to discuss more, please you know, see me after church and see any of the elders and we can talk more about this. But tonight, I, I simply just want to outline the difference between the social justice ideology and, again, what we are called to do as believers uh, and as a church, really. Um, and in our mission to reflect Christ's love. And to do that, we're, we're looking at this passage from James. Just, just to give some context to this passage, our passage falls right in the middle of James' argument about faith and practice. In chapter 1, James calls believers to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Maybe you've heard that passage before. And right after our passage, James says that faith without works is death, is, is dead. Again, another famous passage from James. So what we have in James' letter is a very particular or practical way of living out the Christian life and also how we are to conduct ourselves corporately as a church to show that the love of Christ is truly in us. Now where our passage starts is at the end of chapter 1 where James says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is James' sort of thesis statement as to what he's trying to communicate in in the first part of his letter. He says, as Christians, we need to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of it. And how that looks like is by this Old Testament principle of taking care of the widows and the orphans. Now, proponents of social justice reading this will probably say, see, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is is taking care of the least in society. It's fighting for justice for them. It's social justice as we've been talking about. Well, don't forget the last part of this verse. In addition to taking care of widows, widows and orphans, James calls us to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is not just in practice, but also in principle. In addition to that, you can't just skip over the first part of this verse where it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before who? God the Father. James is setting up the standard by which religion is meant to be practiced. But that standard is not by the standards of man, but it's to the standard of God. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. What God expects from us. How God expects us to practice things. Listen, if we want justice for for the least of society, if we, we want to truly reflect the love of Christ, here's the first truth that we need to realize. Justice is initiated in the gospel. Justice is initiated in the gospel. We can only truly know what the standard of justice is when we start at the standard of God. Not in man's philosophy or, or man's expectations or even at the sentiments of the, of the so-called oppressed people. Our expectation and practice of how we seek out justice for the least of society must start with God. As we said earlier, God is just. He is a God of justice. This is a powerful statement that we say all the time, but sometimes we miss the point of it. Because it means that God's standard is what defines true justice. What, what, what defines justice in this world. Not social media or government policies or minority groups or man's opinions. It's God, this holy God, who defines justice. Listen, church, we cannot live by the standards of the world and call it just or loving. Remember, as we've been, as we've been talking about throughout this series and for the past few sermons, the world has a completely different worldview than us, opposite of our biblical worldview and what the Bible teaches So whether it's socialism or self-centeredness, we cannot as believers dance to the beat of the world and expect to be in step with God. The Bible is very clear. Proverbs 28 verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand, what? Justice. It's on the screen, right? Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So our so so our under so our understanding or our standard for what we call justice in this life, even how we demonstrate justice or how we demonstrate love, only comes when we seek the Lord and His opinion on the matter of justice. You know, we have that famous verse in Micah. He has told you, O man, what uh, is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. I think oftentimes we leave out that last part, right? It's like we, we know, okay, this is what we got to do. We, we have to, you know, do justice, right? And love kindness, but walking humbly before God means that we submit to His authority. Means that we submit to His will and His standards. And of course, what His definition or His example of justice and, and the and. And the best foundation of how justice looks like in Scripture is, of course, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel declares that we are all just sinners before a holy God. And as I've said plenty of times before, right, the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. What that means is that none of us, none of us, have any right to lord our position or our class or our gender or our wealth or our race over anyone else. None of us has the right. Because again, we're all just sinners before a holy God. Again, that, that's, you know, we, we, all, all we deserve is hell. That's justice. 
Hell is what we deserve. The gospel declares that the problem of this world is not rooted in systemic oppression or privileged people groups. The problem is a sin problem, a spiritual problem. And so if that's the problem, if the underlying problem of society is not systemic racism or misogyny or rich people oppressing the poor, but rather a spiritual corruption of the individual, then the answer to solving society's problems is not a physical solution or a political solution. It must be a spiritual one. It must start with the gospel. Addressing the spiritual issues, the, the root of society's problems, is how, how, how we can truly love others. How we can truly love the least of society and bring justice to them. What good is making someone rich in this life when at the end of the day they're bankrupt spiritually? Justice starts, is initiated in, at the gospel. It starts with God's definition of justice and addresses the real root of the problem, which is sin. Now secondly, we need to see that uh, justice is impartial like the gospel. Justice is impartial like the gospel. As we've mentioned, social justice seeks to to favor victims or, or those who are oppressed. We are called to love everyone regardless of class and race and gender. That's what the Bible asks us to do. James says in our passage, My brothers, show no partiality. That's favoritism. That's bias. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This is verse 1 of chapter 2. James goes on to say in verse 2, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in, a sh- in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Or you say to the poor man, you, you stand over here or, or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinction, dis- distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And this goes both ways, by the way. right? James is talking about you know, if, if someone rich comes into the church and you favor them over the poor, that's favoritism, that's partiality. We should not be doing that. But understand that it goes both ways. It's just, you know, it's, it's still, if you favor the poor over the rich, that's still being partial. In fact, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15 speaks against this. Leviticus 19, 15 says, you shall, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial or biased to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge or shall you judge your neighbor. The Bible is clear. We are to show love to all people groups, regardless of class, gender, or ethnic group, because real justice is impartial. Again, what social justice seeks to do is elevate certain groups while tearing down another group. That's not justice, nor is that even loving. And that's exactly what James goes on to say in verse 8, right? He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to, to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He's saying partiality breaks that commandment, that, that second greatest commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. That's why justice must be impartial. That's why the way that we show love must be impartial. So now, a good question to, to ask at this time is, how do we apply this, right? 
Does this mean that we need to take up a collection offering for rich people as well? Who feels comfortable doing that? No, not necessarily. The challenge is to simply check your heart when it comes to how and who you communicate or demonstrate God's love to. If the way you are helping people tears down another group of people, then that's not loving and it's not glorifying to God. If by being a voice for a certain group of people results in silencing another group of people or invalidates them or or discriminates another group or slanders another group, then that's not loving. Again, it's unjust. And of course, according to James, it's the sin of partiality. If the way you uh, help or show love to someone enables sin or promotes sin or, or even is rooted in sin, that's not loving as well. And you've, you've, and you've chosen to elevate the, the sentiments of the individual over God's holiness and standards. Listen, if your way of showing love and justice enables people to continue in their sinful lifestyle, that's not justice. Justice corrects. Justice punishes sin. And it's also not loving. Because sin is destructive. Sin is, again, the problem. And yet, if your way of loving and showing justice to people enables them to continue down the road of destruction, it's like saying, hey, you're a great driver as that individual drives off a cliff. You're enabling them to continue living in sin. And again, it's not loving. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 24 to 25. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Listen, it is more loving to call out sin than let people continue down the road of destruction. It is more loving. There's a, there's a proverb that says, uh, a wound from a friend is a faithful. And the idea is that if you tell someone that they're in danger of destruction, or you, you encourage someone to flee from sin, or you, you call out someone, you rebuke someone, correct someone because of their sinful lifestyle, it is love. It might be hard truth, and it might be you know, tough love, as some may call it, but it is loving. It is loving to, to stop them from their, or stop them from continuing in their sinful lifestyle. So similar to how we preach the gospel to all, we are to demonstrate justice and reflect the love of Christ to all. It is impartial. Finally, we need to understand, lastly here, Justice is an illustration of the gospel. If we truly want to display justice and and love to our communities and to each other, reflect that love of Christ, we need to understand that it is an illustration of the gospel. Our acts of justice, of mercy, of love, tells the story of the gospel, of how though we did not deserve mercy, God had mercy. 
And though we did not deserve compassion, God demonstrated compassion towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ sacrificially and lovingly died for us. James says this towards the end of our passage. He says in verse 12 of chapter 2, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. He says, act and speak, behave in a manner as those who have experienced freedom in Christ, the law of liberty. And in verse 13 he says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But he adds this tail end, this tail end notice here, mercy triumphs over judgment. This is a call to remember how we were destitute in our sin, only deserving the wrath of God because that, it was, that was our just rewards for our transgressions, which again is death, it's hell, it's the punishment of, of God's wrath. But God showed mercy and love towards us by sending His Son to take on our punishment, the just rewards of our sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, level playing field. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God demonstrates justice towards us by having Christ become the propitiation, the, the appeasement of his wrath, so that we might have life in his name, so that we might flourish in his name. Again, our acts of kindness, our acts of justice, simply exemplifies this, illustrates this gospel truth. That God, again, being loving, demonstrates compassion to us, even though we deserve wrath. He demonstrates grace to us. He gives us a gift of salvation, even though all we deserve is judgment. So, the question now is, how do we love our neighbor? How do you reflect the love of Christ to those around you, whether here in the church, or your family members outside of the church, or people at your workplaces? Does it exemplify the same kind of love that Christ exemplified, unconditional, unmerited, and undeserved. That's what we're called to reflect, church. Regardless of class or, or ethnicity or gender, regardless of what the world says about these specific groups, about us even, do we show them the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross? Think about when you do acts of kindness, when you know when we do street runs or you know endeavor on missions for the glory of Christ. Where is it coming from? What are we trying to reflect? Is it out of the abundance of the love that 
that God has poured into our hearts through salvation? Is it out of the abundance of grace that we've experienced? Because see, see, our acts of service and kindness to others is acts of worship to God. In fact, if you go back to uh, James chapter 1, verse 27, when it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, that word for religion is threskeia, meaning worship. Meaning a reverence or, or a worship for God. So, Worship that is pure and undefiled before God exemplifies itself in acts of service, in taking care of the widows and the orphans, in taking care of the least of society. Our acts of mercy and justice to those in need is meant to be an act of worship. Does that reflect in your life? Are you doing it at all? You know, we're coming out of this sort of lockdown situation. Things are starting to reopen and whatnot. And I think for a good while, most of us, and, you know, I'm in the boat as well. We've been thinking about ourselves, our own family, and, you know, keeping everyone safe. But now things are reopening and we're coming and meeting in person. How are we as a church now going to reflect the love of Christ to each other again and those outside of these walls? How will it look like? Do we only show love to those who are fully vaccinated, for example? Or do we show love to everyone and kindness, the kind of love that Christ exemplified on the cross? Does the way you reflect God's love illustrate the gospel? Does it illustrate gratitude for what Christ has done on our behalf? Justice is initiated in the gospel. Justice is impartial like the gospel. Justice is an illustration of the gospel. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close this evening. You know, I hope that as we've been talking about this this topic this the evening, that why some of us have a hard time dealing with this is because. Someone else started preaching. Oh. I hope I hope the impression that we're getting from this talk is that, uh, from the sermon is that, you know, we are called to be loving, more loving, in fact. I hope the impression is that you know we're not unloving, we're just not loving like how the world shows its love. We're not defining justice, and we're not defining honor and worth by the standards of the world. We're defining it by the standards of God, by God's word. And I hope this, you don't take away from this as well that, you know, that we're, we're devaluing or, or, or disregarding the experiences of individuals who have been going through Depression or had to struggle through racism or, or all these other sinful things in the world. That's not what, what we're trying to do here. But what we are saying is that true healing, 
true reconciliation, true change in society happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we are saying here is that what we want to do as a church is to point people towards where there is true healing and through sat- true satisfaction that is only found in Jesus Christ. Not in some man-made philosophy, not in some man-made rhetoric or ideology. As believers, we are meant to go and care for those who are in need. But again, with the purpose of pointing them to Jesus Christ. With exemplifying and illustrating through our acts of service the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've you've bought into sort of these world philosophies and these world ideologies of how they define justice and how they define equality and love. Well, I want to challenge you this evening. Because what that says is that maybe you've lost your trust in the God of justice. Maybe you've lost your faith in the God who is just and will bring everything, every sin into judgment. Who is making everything new. Who, who, has the, who is the one who has the power to change hearts and lives. My challenge for you is to once again trust in the God of justice. Put your faith in the one who can truly change lives. Ecclesiastes 3.17 says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every word. I love what, what the writer says here, because he has to tell his heart this. It's hard to trust God, to, to deal with the atrocities of the world, to deal with the sins of the world, when it's so blatantly obvious, obvious in your face, when it's so so apparent in your face and you're, and you're crying out for justice and people are desiring freedom. But the reality of it, God is really the only one who can change our, our society. Is. He, he's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who deals with the root problem, which is sin. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up as we enter into this time of reflection. Demonstrating the love of Christ, reflecting the love of Christ. Or are you seeking justice for the widows and the orphans of society? Is it in the terms of the world? Or is it in terms of scripture and what God says in his word? ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes in this time of reflection. There's nobody looking around and just in quiet prayer and own hearts to God. Just reflecting on every sermon that we've talked about this, this these past three weeks and even tonight's sermon. 
If you, in your heart, know that there is a war raging in your mind, there is conflict between a worldview that is inconsistent with Scripture and the truth of God. If that's you this evening, and you recognize that, and you see that, can I invite you to just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Thank you for that hand. If you know that in your heart you're you're battling with, with who you put your faith in, who you put your trust in, for hope and satisfaction and joy, this life I pray that this night you will submit to the truth of God to the spirit of God a true and real conviction would take place and true life change would take place that we as a church would center our focus on the word of God and shape our worldview to the standards and will of God and not the standards and will of man. So that we can truly be the church that God has called us to be. So that we can truly see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you know your children, O Lord. You know the inconsistencies we have in our hearts and even the doubts in our minds. You know where the areas of our lives where we have compromised for the sake of the world, for the sake of sin in our flesh. Oh God, I pray that you would reconcile all of that this evening. You say in your word that today is a day of salvation for us to not quench the Holy Spirit. So I pray, oh God, that none here would harden their hearts to your move. I pray, oh God, for your children, that Lord, that you would sanctify us in your word, in your truth, that you would take every thought captive, every ideology, every philosophy, every every experience that runs through our mind captive to the authority of Jesus Christ. And I pray, oh God, that you would sway our hearts towards you once again. That our hearts would be for you. Oh Lord, that you'd bring true and real conviction. God, if there is anyone here who is of your children is is struggling with sin or living in sin, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring healing this day, that you would bring freedom this day. Just as we read in in this passage, Lord, just as James tells us to live as though, as once under the law of liberty, under the freedom that we experience in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, fill us this night to step in faith, to live lives that is worthy of the gospel so that we might go out and and reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that we might go and, and 
cultivate lives that truly revolve around you. And that we might truly reflect your love to others. Help us in this, O Lord, as we endeavor for your kingdom as a church, as a family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.